All right, well, we're going to be talking today about a character. So we're going to take a pause, or we're going to stop uh, for a moment in our Disciplines series. I'm definitely going to step on that. And um, we are going to celebrate somebody in the Scripture who is doing um, some of these disciplines that we talked about, who displayed those in his life. Um, and we're going to do that by looking at the story of King David. Now, have you guys ever been to a ball game and there's always like that one person who's like all in, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like that person is yelling and they're like, all about it, and they're like clapping ferociously. Get that, get that, get that, get that, right? Like, I'm not that person. You know better. Um, but actually, my sister-in-law was that way, and you would not know it because she was like pretty meek and mild in public, but um, she would hoop and holler and like be a tiny bit cringeworthy of like, no, oh, I'm with her. Um, um, and the best part is it was like at her seven-year-old softball game. So we're not even talking like high school sports or like professional sports. We're talking like six and seven-year-olds and they're like missing the tee. Come on, what are you doing? I'm like, oh my gosh. But you knew when you were at that place that that person was all in. There was no doubt about it. She loved her daughter. She was loving this sport, and she was all in. And we are actually going to be talking about King David, and he exudes a very similar um, attitude in the passage of Scripture we're going to be in today. He is all in. He is enthusiastic, and we're going to see um, the result of that. So if you have a real Bible, because those are the best, and I had this whole spiel, and then get this, the Lord doing it again. I went back on Wednesday and listened to Jordan's sermon, and at the beginning of his sermon, he was like, if you have a real Bible, and I was like, in my car, I'm like, what? It's like we were in sync. Okay, so real Bibles are where it's at. It's a good discipline in this series of disciplines to know how to turn the pages of Scripture, find the books of the Bible, read the written word together. So 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we are going to be today. While you're doing that, 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm just going to review very briefly the last three weeks in our Cultivate series. We've been diving intentionally into spiritual disciplines, um, how to cultivate, change, turn over these areas of drought, dryness that are in our lives. Um, it takes an intentional effort in areas of spiritual discipline. And we've looked at three specific ones so far, Bible reading, prayer, and fasting, and King David is who we're looking at today. I've told you that in 2 Samuel 6. He is a person that exudes so many of these characteristics. Um, he displays them in his life. They're visible attributes of who he is as a person. Um, and let me say, in case you are tempted to think this as we do with some Bible characters, is that while King David displayed um, such great um, 
intentionality in the disciplines. He is not a perfect person. In fact, there are probably as many mistakes or um, things that he didn't do quite right as there are good things with David. And yet, he is an amazing example because of his heart. Um, We know that God chooses David specifically because of his heart. We see it in the Kings, in Samuel's books, in the Chronicles, that he, David, is chosen for the eternal covenant that will lead to Jesus because of his heart. It does not have to do with how perfectly he rules the kingdom because he doesn't. It does not have to do with how well he lives his personal life because he doesn't. It does not have to do with any of the other works of his name. It has to do with the repentant heart that David has. And we're going to see a glimpse of even that um, today. And that's what we're going to celebrate. This is a joyous um, Sunday. That's why I I'm here to preach it. (laughs) It's full of joy. Um, So we're going to dive into our character today in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm just kind of going to go, if you remember my preaching style, I'm going to pause a lot and you're going to be annoyed with me and it's going to be wonderful. Um, All right, we're going to read the word of the Lord. Thank you for this word, Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men. 30,000 in all. Now, we're going to stop right there. You're like, what can this even teach us? Oh, it teaches us so much. So I'm a Bible teacher, if you don't know that. And um, that's more my, like, style. I like to teach. And um, I even told my husband I want to wear my badge because it's, like, the fiddle thing that you can play with. But um, there's so many good things that when we look at Bible stories as a whole, sometimes we really like rush over. Like this verse, for instance, you read it and you think, this is, I'm just not seeing what necessarily is in here. But let me help you to understand a little bit about why verse one is super important. You see, at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter six, David's on a rescue mission and he's going to rescue, do you have headings at the top of your Bible? What is it? Yeah, it's participation. What's, what is he going to rescue? Do you have head? It says the ark. Yes, gold star for you. The ark. The ark of the covenant. And if you're not familiar with the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant was like the thing. It was the very presence of the Lord. You see, God had led the Israelites out of Egypt as a cloud, as a fire. He had called Moses to the mountain and descended on the mountain in a giant cloud, fog, and his holiness was present with Moses. And he instructs Moses to to create, I guess is the word, this ark um, that is going to be the place where God is. And so Moses does this, the Israelites, they create a tabernacle, which is like a movable temple, a tent of sorts. And the Ark of the Covenant lives there. And wherever God tells them to go, they pack it up, they move it, God leads them, and then they put it down and they build it all again. And so this is a very important thing. This is not just a piece of the tabernacle. This is the most important thing that they have 
in their worship to the Lord. And he's on a rescue mission because the Ark of the Covenant was lost. In fact, it was lost a really long time before David actually even became king. This is what I think is funny. I'm actually skipping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. It's lost a long time before David even becomes king. And for the whole time that Saul is the king, they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. And nobody cares. Like, that's a big deal. The presence of God in its physical form is gone, missing, in the hands of their enemies. And they're all just like, too bad. That's a pretty big stage to set for the the tone of the nation when David comes in. And so here's what David does. He, again, brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. David, he is very specific about his actions. He has very good intentions about what he wants to do. And he has chosen, handpicked 30,000 people who are his trusted people because uh, the context tells us he's picked them before. Again, he chooses them. And they are going to go and they're going to be responsible for bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. It's not just like a whim of David being like, now that I'm king, what should we do today? Uh, I had bacon for breakfast. Thanks, Todd. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It was an inside joke. He got it. Uh, I think we'll go get the Ark of the Covenant today. Let's do it. Who's in? All right, come on. No, he is deliberate. He chooses 30,000 people. He plans this rescue. He's going to go, okay? So David, as king, does three major things that we need to know as we begin this story. Number one, he conquers Jerusalem, and he makes it his capital. It wasn't the capital before King David. Fun fact, you may or may not have known that, but David makes it the capital city. Number two, the Philistines, which are the giant David defeated a long time before he became king, are the enemy nation that are all around Israel. They're causing a lot of trouble for him. He eh, defeats them. They're also the people who have the Ark of the Covenant. Keep that tucked away. And number three, he creates this rescue plan. So what does it look like to begin incorporating disciplines so that God is a priority in your life. The word we're gonna begin with is, it's a progress. David, he has good intentions. He chooses specifically that he's gonna do this. He sets out on it. First Chronicles 13 tells us his very intention. He tells the whole assembly of Israel, it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord, let us send word that we are coming to get the ark. That's my paraphrase. David chooses to put God as a priority in his kingship. He recognizes that the physical presence of God is not among them, and that is a problem. And he chooses deliberately with good intentions to make it a priority in his kingship, in his life, in the nation. And it's important. I know you're like, come on, move on. But I want you to understand that before we even begin this, we have to understand that disciplines um, are a choice. You and I have to choose 
the deliberate choice to do a discipline. The very word discipline makes us want to be like, it is hard. Discipline your children, right? You're going to be disciplined by the father. Our kids probably do that when we discipline them. It is tough. It is hard. It is a deliberate choice. And when we choose it, as we're going to see in David's life as well, um, it leads to celebration. Okay, so that was verse one. We're ready for verse two. I'll promise I'll go faster. Verse two, he and all his men set out from Balab, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. So they're going to go get it. Physical symbol of God's presence. They're going to go get it, and they find it. This really isn't a complicated rescue mission. They go get the ark. They find it, and nobody is even going to, like, refute them. They're just going to take it. Um, I'm not going to get in that today, but if you have time this week in your Bible study disciplines and you want an entertaining um, story to read, I would recommend going back and checking out why the Philistines were just so like, "Mm, you can have it. Um, It's comical, but it's also very powerful um, why they do not put up a fight when David comes to get the ark. Verse three, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of the cart. David and the whole house, take note, were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps and lyres and tambourines and cisterns and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Well, that was a twist. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. So wild twist of events that happens here. They're beginning their journey back home. They have the ark in their possession and um, they're worshiping fervently before the Lord. All of this seems like it's a good thing. And yet for some reason, God sends his judgment on a guy who was just trying to protect the very presence of God and kills him because he touches the ark. And that was a rule that you weren't supposed to do that. What on earth has happened? This was supposed to be a good thing, a rescue mission of God's presence. Well, what we see is that David did something that a lot of us tend to do. David had not taken the time to review the proper way to do this. David made a plan, and it was David's plan. He did not consult the law. He did not consult the Lord. And he did not go about the rescue plan in a righteous manner. 
And the Bible tells us that the anger of the Lord burned. It went very wrong. David was now responsible for the death of a person. And the nation of Israel is frightened. And as we're going to see, David himself doesn't even want the Ark of the Covenant anymore. So what began as a great celebration, we've got the ark, we're singing and dancing, we're celebrating on our way back to Jerusalem, row, row, has now turned drastically wrong. And it's because David did it on his own. He did not seek the guidance of the Lord. So this is what he does. Verse 9 David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So this is kind of fun. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, David is looking at this physical box And he's afraid. He does not want the ark in the town that he is residing, the capital city of Jerusalem. Um, And so he's like, I'm not bringing it back to Jerusalem. You see, for David in this moment, he thinks the problem is the ark. Obviously, this thing is possessed or something, right? Like, this is not right. Why would Why would a guy die trying to save the presence of the Lord from falling and crashing and breaking? And who knows what else? He can't wrap his mind around why this would happen. And so his his, um, theory is, well, it's because this thing is broken. Something is wrong with the ark, and I don't want it. So I'm going to put it in this guy's house because, you know, that's a good alternative. It's broken, and it's cursed, Something's wrong with it. Here, store this for us, for Obed-Edom, right? That's a, he was willing to sacrifice it. But something strange happens in Obed-Edom's house when we get to verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Huh. All right, well, maybe the ark isn't cursed. Plan B. Verse 12, David hears about it. King David is told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he does because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. David hears that the cursed box is not a curse. In fact, the household where he stashed the ark is actually being abundantly blessed. And notice, notice why, this is why King David's heart is so important. Notice what he does. Immediately after hearing about it, he goes and gets the ark. He has a revelation. Hmm. Wasn't the box. Yeah, it was me. I did it the wrong way. And all of the good intentions that he had earlier, he made a plan. He got his people together. 
He celebrated with all of his might before the Lord while bringing back the ark. All of those good intentions were only for his benefit because they were a part of his plan. And sometimes, sometimes you and I get that way. We rush with excitement into something new. I am going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to begin a discipline of prayer. I'm going to try fasting. And we, and we make a plan. Okay, I'm going to do it like this, 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 and this. And meanwhile, the purpose of the discipline is so that we can connect with the Father. But we're over here making the plan completely apart from him. And then we're surprised when it doesn't work. The disciplines, they take work. And David recognized that because it doesn't spell it out in 2 Samuel, but 1 Chronicles 13 tells the same story. And 1 Chronicles 13 tells us that he did not just march to Obed-Edom's house, get the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. No. He called the priests and he said, bring me the word of God. And he sat down with the law and he read it for himself. And wouldn't you know that right there in the law spelled out every detail of exactly how you were supposed to handle the Ark of the Covenant. And so what did David do? Well, after reading that law and recognizing that there was a way and an order that God had commanded for this to be done, he went out and he did it. He called the Levites. He got them together. He said, I know why it failed. We were carrying it and you were supposed to carry it. Also, like crazy people, we put it on this rolling cart and it's supposed to be carried by these giant poles. That's what those are for. And he gets the right people in the right place to do the thing that it was supposed to be, how it was supposed to be done in the first place. He calls the Levites and he says, instead of us worshiping the Lord with all of our might, the law says that you, the Levite, the priests, the Levitical tribe are supposed to be leading us in worship. So go appoint leaders. And they do. And oh, by the way, the law also instructs us how we are supposed to treat the ark with such reverence that we're to offer sacrifices as we move the ark from place to place. And David reads every single one of these instructions and he's processing them. And never once does he say, we were close. I mean, it's fine. No. The whole time he acknowledges, I messed it up and I am repentant and we're going to do it the right way. He doesn't even sulk like, oh my goodness. And we all know, if you've read Psalms, David sometimes does like to sulk, right? And his, Lord, how long will you leave me in this distress? Okay, But he doesn't even do that because Psalm 86 is a beautiful coming of this. And and Psalm 86, if you listen when Chelsea read it, was a song of joy. It was a song of praise to the Lord. He doesn't even sulk like, I'm such a terrible person. I failed again. Why do I even try? I'm worthless. God, you don't love me. 
He doesn't even sit there. He immediately recognizes, I was the problem. The box is not. Let's fix it and go get the ark of the Lord. He's all in at this point. He is the enthusiastic fan about to get up on his feet and start clapping, literally. Maybe you keep thinking, I keep meaning to have a better relationship with the Lord, but it just keeps messing up. I tried to read my Bible, but it doesn't work. I tried to fast and I couldn't. Whatever it might be, you keep meaning to do it the right way. You keep meaning to do it at all, and you keep failing, and you're stuck there. Take a note from King David to get up, to repent, and then to do it the right way. If you want to read your Bible, put your phone away. Go to a quiet place. Set yourself up for success. Consult the Lord, God, This is just not working. I want to have a time with you, and I just can't seem to find time. My kids won't leave me alone. I can't even go to the bathroom in peace, let alone read my Bible. How is this going to work? Consult the Lord. And when you fail, don't sulk. Repent and do it right. Do it again. Because it's in those moments that pure worship happens. And we see that in David, a celebration better than even all his might happens when David successfully does what he goes out to do through the Lord's help. Verse 13, 12, 13. When When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David, wearing a linen ephod, tuck that away for a second, danced before the Lord with all his might, there it is again, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael's son, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. That's his wife at the time. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. Both men and women and all the people went to their homes. He did it. He consulted the Lord. He followed the righteous law, and there was an incredible celebration. And y'all know it was good because there was food there. So that's how, right? You know, there's a good party when there is food. He is so overcome with joy at this successful rescue mission. It started out great. It did not go well. David caused great calamity and destruction. He repented and immediately turned. He consulted the Lord. He knew what he was supposed to do, and then he did it. And when he did, he danced and he leaped, so much so that his wife at the time looks at him. She's got all her own little issues that are way too much for this sermon. But she looks at him, and she calls him undignified. Now, fun fact, a lot of people actually think it's because David was naked. He probably wasn't. The reason why she calls him undignified is because in that very moment, 
David threw off everything about him that made him royal. He wasn't up here as the king like, well done, yes, praise the Lord. He was down here with the people of Israel, wearing the same clothes, eating the same food. He was dancing and praising and having a hoop and holler in time as the king of the nation. And ain't no king ever done that before. And his wife was like, mm, you're a king? And David didn't care because the joy of the Lord was in him and in the people and in the nation because the presence of God was back, y'all. And that was worth having a party about because they had returned to the Lord. Disciplines are hard work, but they result in pure worship, in pure connection with the Father of the heavens. And as Hannah comes up to close us in prayer right now, I just want you to recognize that the whole challenge of this series for us is to do just that, to seek the Lord and to allow God to be righteously and perfectly glorified. We don't read the Bible so that we look smarter. We don't read the Bible so that we can even stand up here and preach. We read the Bible so that God can be righteously and perfectly glorified as we know him and connect with him. To spend each day consulting him, reading his law, fasting and connecting is for the purpose of worship. And worship is a joyful thing, y'all. It is a party worth celebrating when you get to connect with the Father.